Welcome to Third Chances, a talk show where we like to hear from people who devoted their life to health, fitness and wellness. Medical professionals, health coaches and all the others who help us every day to cure our body, mind or soul. Those who always look for more natural, holistic ways to help even more people to live a happier and healthier life. Those who don't like to give up easily and settle on you or themselves. It is never too late or too soon. I always believe that every one of us deserves not just a second chance, but as many as we need. I'm Vera, your host. Who better than a master of reinvention with an accent to guide you through it, right? Just like they say, you are not a tree, so move. And God knows I have done just that in my own life many, many times. If you are not completely happy with the direction your life is going, this show may help you get the courage to change what is needed, find a new path and take charge. So come on over, pour yourself a glass of wine and spend some time with us. Let's laugh and cry together and get inspired by people just like you and me who overcame their own doubts and took a leap of faith to reinvent their life on their own terms. I hope and pray that we help you on that journey. And if you feel so compelled and inspired, please let us know. Don't be shy. Who knows? You may just be our next featured guest with another inspiring success story. So here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Third Chances, where we talk to people that reinvented their life and usually for better and who better to talk about it than one and only in my eyes legendary Alan Noble. Alan thank you so much for making time for my podcast. Thank you Vera what do they say I'm a legend in my own mind. Yes you are <laughs> and I just learned from you even though we know you as somebody who creates all the tools for us and incredible helpful uh, videos and everything you don't like to talk about yourself well tough luck because this episode is about you and about your life and <laughs> your achievements because we all admire you and we want to learn from you so i'm sorry but you would have to a little bit and okay. alan didn't even send me his bio that i asked for because of course he's so busy so I did some digging and I found online some interesting information that I had no idea about. So he is very interesting personality aside of being super successful in a business. Uh, Alan first did things the traditional way, earning degree in international finance. And then he discovered that his desire for adventure and travel outweighed his desire for career in finance, which is really interesting. I would never judge that on you. See how wrongly we judge the people by the cover. So Alan set, set sail for Israel and his years of exploring led him to extensive travels through Africa from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, excuse me, to sitting quietly among mountain gorillas. Alan believes his experiences have helped him gain a biggest picture of the world and a better experience for or appreciation for people. That totally fascinates me because I 
When I first met you, of course, you were very successful in the company that we both work with. But I also met you as this wonderful Irish man who loved music and playing flute. And that caught my heart because I was also coming from the from the music world. Uh, so please explain what was going on in your mind when you were 20 something and you were trying to figure out what you would like to be. When I'm sitting with the mountain gorillas in the uh, in the uh, Western Congo. I know. Sorry, Eastern Congo, Eastern Congo, Western Uganda. So, um, yeah, so I'm originally from the famous city of Belfast, famous oh. for all the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's heard of Belfast, it's never a good thing. Uh, you know, we, we actually, a little, little piece of trivia in Belfast. Did you know, Vera, the Titanic was built in Belfast? Oh. The famous no. Titanic was built no, in I Belfast. No, I did not. Yeah. That explains although, a lot. <laughs> although we do say it was built by an Irishman, but it was sunk by an Englishman. Oh, anyway. Yeah, that um, makes it all right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Belfast, uh, I lived the first 30 years of my life pretty much in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And uh, then I've spent the last uh, 24 years of my life or 25. Uh, I'm 54 now. So I've spent the last, uh, anyway, roughly that in uh, in the United States. Can I ask you? Can mm -hmm. I ask you uh, what was your life like in Belfast when you were growing up? What was, was what is the I, most? I just I talked a little memory. bit stronger with a more Belfast accent. I talked a little bit more like this here, so I did, you know. Uh -huh. No, so I uh, so I went through school loving music. Music is my passion. Mm -hmm. I'm a classically trained flute player, and there was a huge part of me wanted to be a professional musician. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized at about 16, 17, that I probably wasn't going to be good enough to be, you know, uh, one of the greats. And I didn't want to be a broke musician for the rest of my life. I, mm -hmm. I also, yeah, I just, I realized that it was, um, it was probably something that was going to be better kept as a very dear passion and hobby for me. Mm -hmm. um, and looking back, I think that was absolutely the correct choice. You know, I probably could have gone to music college and gone down that road. How happy I would have been, I don't know. Um, but anyway, it's been fantastic as a as a very, very dear hobby passion. Um, actually, during a break in my entrepreneurial life, I ended up picking up the flute again and teaching 60 kids from elementary school to high school mm -hmm. uh, how to play the flute. And I'll tell you, that made being an entrepreneur a piece of cake. <laughs> Go teach 60 kids how to play the flute. And it makes being an entrepreneur super easy. Okay. It made but, it gave you some taste of what it would look like if you Yeah, started. there's no residual income in teaching the flute. You're exchanging time for dollars. Right. You know? Um, and uh, so as someone who has tasted the good life as an entrepreneur, uh, that's a pretty tough gig just to be as we say, exchanging your time for dollars with no freedom at the end of it. Yeah. But um, so the flute has always been a really important part of my life since I was nine years of age, um, but decided that was not going to be my career. And so I ended up, um, a lot of times musicians are good at math. You know, they use- Help me. <laughs> well, whatever the, however the brain works, often there's a very strong correlation between mathematics and music. So I find that, you know, I was I was good at math. And so I ended up doing finance. And I, I graduated with a degree in international finance, mm -hmm. uh, graduated top of my class. Um, 
uh, not saying that to boast or brag, but just that I was in a place where I could truly walk into pretty much any career I wanted in the world of finance, stockbroking, financial analysis, fund management, even accountancy. Um, but I find myself to be psychologically unemployable. How did you find out? Well, because it was this gut-wrenching, nauseous feeling in my stomach. My stomach was in knots thinking about going for job interviews. Hmm. And I had this image of just clocking in and clocking out for the next 40 years, um, sitting in a cubicle. Um, you know, we were just getting started in the computer era. era. This is like 92, 93. And just the idea of, I don't it just, it, it just, it, it left a very unsettled feeling in my, my gut. I heard the term psychologically unemployable about 15 years later. And I said, that's the disease that's I have. <laughs> that's it. It's interesting when, when I was asking you about Belfast, what was surrounding you? What role models did you have? Did you have a lot of entrepreneurship or just the opposite? Not really. It was quite close thinking. Um, it's very, it's a very insular place, which is why we had 30 years of the troubles, if people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, very, very small thinking and, and you know, it, it's a, I found it quite a claustrophobic environment. My father was a dentist and he was a total self-made man. Mm -hmm. um, he was a remarkable man. Um, he probably wouldn't have classed himself as an entrepreneur, but he was in that he set up his own practice at a very young age and built a very, very successful practice. Mm -hmm. And he wanted me to be a dentist. He wanted me to walk into his, follow him into his shoes, take over his practice. And I can't think of anything worse, you know, um, looking in people's dirty, stinking, gungy mind <laughs> all day long. I mean, there's no wonder why dentistry is the highest suicide rate of any profession. I mean, I just, no, he really. loved it I'm and he really. was brilliant at it. Oh yeah, it's, it's brutal. And so I didn't want to go down that road. So I went down the finance road as far as the degree goes, but I graduated with my degree, mm -hmm. hadn't a clue what I wanted to do with myself. I'd already done some traveling. I'd worked in a kibbutz in Israel. I'd traveled around Europe, uh, never got to your beautiful homeland. It was still, you still needed visas to get past austria and germany and uh so didn't get as far east as i would have liked but um and then i i i actually uh dug ditches and i was in the soviet union when it collapsed i was working in latvia at the time digging ditches for the international voluntary service so i was doing all these things traveling exploring the world trying to find myself trying to find my voice and then um i i graduated with this degree and i just had this fear of going into some dull job for the next 40 years. And so um, I put on a backpack and I traveled the length of Africa at 17 and a half thousand miles, 22 countries. I did and saw some amazing things. Um, Mike relighted over Victoria Falls, sat with the mountain gorillas, uh, checked through the jungle with the pygmies, um, all went all the way down from Morocco, all the way down to Cape Town and uh, climbed Table Mountain. And it was... It was an amazing experience, um, but I didn't find myself. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to ask, what did you, what did you, no, going in no your light mind? bulbs came on. Hmm. So I came back 
and I started a master's in international finance. Yeah, I went back to my schooling, right. I went back to my original school, one of the best master's programs in Ireland, and um, I started my master's degree. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, this isn't what I want to do with my life. But I was kind of just on the academic treadmill hmm. just because it was OK. Let's I call it postponing reality for a while until I figure it out. Yeah. And so I'm back as a, as a student studying a master's and I had just started my master's when my girlfriend's father, now my father-in-law, gave her a book and said, give this to Alan. It was given to me. I'm not interested in it, but he might be interested in it. And it was a little book. Let me see if I can. Here it is. It was a little book called The Boom Business of the 90s. Oh, wow. And this little book described a business model that I could get started, even though I was flat broke student, I was, I was, I was paying for my traveling by teaching music to mm. kids, um, which I really enjoyed, but it wasn't what I wanted to do as a career. And so that's how I was kind of funding my travels was teaching music. But this little book showed me how I could get started in a business with no risk, very little upfront cost. And I could literally build a business that had no ceiling on income, that it could create a residual passive income. I could do the work once, but keep getting paid over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I could earn way beyond just my own efforts by actually building a team of like-minded people. And it, the book then didn't talk about global income, but today we live in a global village Thank, we're all wired together with the internet that literally you could build a business around the world that never sleeps. And so I read this little book in 1993, in the summer of 93, and I couldn't sleep. Vera, I couldn't sleep for two weeks. I was so excited. And in that moment, it's only 96 pages long, but here's what this little book taught me. This little book in its 96 pages taught me a wealth building program. It taught me how to build a business, not just to make money, but to actually create wealth. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I remember sitting back going, I'm in one of the finest in finance master's degrees in, in Ireland and the UK. And they're not teaching me how to become wealthy. Yeah. They're teaching me how to look after other people's wealth. Right. And yet this little 96 page book is showing me, not saying the only pathway, but a pretty exciting pathway for someone like myself to actually become wealthy. Yeah. And in that moment, I said, this is what I want to do professionally. And so that is the business of referral marketing, network marketing. Sometimes it's called multi-level marketing. I don't like that term, but um, word of mouth, referral marketing, network marketing. And that became my career, uh, my career choice for several years. Um, and, that is what I continue to do today. Now, I did take a break from that business for a while. We can get into that if you want. Um, because I find uh, I ended up coming to the United States. And I, I find in that time that I liked, I loved the business model of network marketing. But I really didn't like a lot of the people or a lot of the companies in the business model. I'm just being That's, very that, that would have been my question because how... Okay, you love the model, but how do you find where to put your efforts to? Where, it's hard. Where did you start to look for a company that you would like to link with. Yeah, well, it's like dating. 
you got to kiss a few frogs before you find your princess, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, on, you know, this industry is a very interesting industry. Look, I'll be very transparent. Transparency is one of my key values. Um, I, I, I cannot stand smoke and mirrors. I cannot stand lack of transparency. It drives me nuts. Um, and so, you know, there's good and bad in every industry. Um, my dad was a brilliant dentist, uh, but I used to hear horror stories of terrible dentists. And I've even unfortunately met a couple uh, as, as their patient here in the United States. Um, you know, there's good doctors, there's bad doctors. I even heard a rumor there's uh, good lawyers out there as well, you know, or good yes. politicians. That's what I hear. I don't know if it's true or not. But you know, there's good and bad in everything everything good teachers bad teachers we've had with our kids we've had wonderful experiences with teachers and we've had horrible experience with our teachers as we went through school we had good experiences and bad experiences and so there's good and bad in everything and the network marketing industry is no different i just had the sense to separate out the business model from those experiences mm -hmm. and i'm a little bit i'm not going to say unique i'm not going to say i'm the only person in the world that has experienced this but it's unusual most people get exposed to this business model through a product. Um, I got exposed to it through a like a textbook. Right. And so for me, it was always the love for the business model in its purity and the concepts around the business model. You know, it's very closely related to franchising. I often call it franchising squared. It takes franchising to the next level. And mine, so mine is the investment. Is yours what? Mine is the huge investment for franchising. That's the challenge. You need a lot of money for a franchise to work. This is a franchise for the little guy, you know, and yet the rewards are much, much greater than any franchise can offer. Mm -hmm. And so the I, I was able to separate the business model from some, some of the, the shenanigans in that people used in the business model, um, you know, are there are there pyramid selling companies and Ponzi schemes that are pretending to be network marketing companies? Yes, there are. And you have to know the difference. Um, and they give the industry a bad name. Are there people who are greedy that um, use people and love money? Um, yeah, there are. There are in every profession. You know, go to car sales, go to insurance industry, go to any industry. Again, there's good and bad and ugly in every industry. But that doesn't mean the industry itself is bad. And so that's the way I viewed the network marketing industry. And I got exposed to, you know, some of the stuff I didn't like. So I ended up walking away from the industry um, because I couldn't find, Vera, for me, it was very simple. I love this business model, but in order for the business model to work, I, I brought basic down, brought it down to two check boxes. Okay. You, you could have a list of, th these are things I want in a company. You asked, how did I find the right company? You could have a list, but I brought that list down to two things. And I wanted to find an exceptional, unique product. I wanted to find a story that had never been told before. Okay. I call it the solo voice rising above the crowded choir. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of noise out there. I wanted to find something that just was a step above, something different. And that's very hard to find. Different doesn't come along very often variations on a theme if we want to go musical but a brand new theme doesn't come along very often a lot of it's the same old same old same old just repackaged in a different way and i got tired of that uh, in our industry it was the, the exotic juices 
Maybe people knew about the noni juice, the acai berry juice, the goji juice, the, you know, there were 82 juice companies in the direct sales industry and they were all playing my juice is better than your juice. My, my daddy can beat up your daddy. And I was tired of that mishmash of products. The second thing I was looking for was a company I could trust. Because at the end of the day, in a business like this, you can have the best product in the world, but if the company doesn't stay in business or they're not honorable and they don't drive their business with principles and integrity, then you're back to square one again. And so those were the two very simple things that I was looking for. And for almost eight years, I couldn't find it. And so I stepped out of the business model full time for eight years. And I promised myself, because I respect myself, I promised myself that I would not step back into the network marketing business model unless I could check those two boxes. And occasionally something would crop up and I would take a little step in, I'd open the door, take it out. I'd maybe take another step forward and I would become very, very clear that one of those boxes was not fully checked and I'd back out again. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until 2009 that I stumbled on the company I'm with today that um, has been my home now for 15 but, years. But in the meantime, you already have a children, didn't you? And you have responsibilities as a father to make a living as well. Um, actually, yes and no. Um, when I joined ASEA, the company I'm with today, um, my oldest I was only two years married and my daughter okay. was only 10 months old. I was a late starter. Uh, oh, I didn't get married okay. till I was 37 and I didn't become a dad till I was 39. Um, and that's roughly the time when I joined ASEA. So yeah, before that time, um, I was I uh, I built a, a web design business. There's um, a long story there, but I ended up falling into the web design business. I can't write a line of code but I knew how to um, sell web projects and get them built. Um, I also was, before ASEA came along, I also taught flute for like three years, three and a half, four years. I I taught 60 students playing flute. That was part of my time away from the entrepreneurial world. And then I also was business partners uh, in a financial services company. Um, We were building uh, sales teams all all around North America. Um, educating merchants on how Visa and MasterCard actually work. And we were really pioneering a new form of pricing in credit card processing um, that was way ahead of its time. And so that where I'm happiest is kind of where sales, personal development and teaching come together. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my my voice. And Um, you really are a brilliant teacher because not many people can so eloquently say complex concepts and simplify it down to uh, easy to remember phrases that you do. And I really admire that because I have difficulty myself to sometimes to to calm my excitement and just try to explain it simple, which is really hard sometimes. But it's it's so when you when you came across of the company that you are now a ambassador double diamond yeah that's like up 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 there for us how 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 did that process of proving it to yourself that this is something that you want to get involved with how did it work so 
I already checked the box of network marketing. I'm no problem with the business model. Love the business model. Mm -hmm. But what's what vehicle am I going to use in the business model? Who's what's the product and who's who's behind the company? Those are the only two questions. And so what actually happened to me, I, I was in a place where I was not looking to get back into network marketing. Again, I was business partners in this financial services company. I was building educational programs. Um, I was training. Again, my my form of sales is educational. I actually call what I do now educational marketing. I'm yes, not sir. a sales guy. I really don't have a sales bone in my body, I'm, but I am a teacher. That is my calling. I really teach. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's teaching the fluid or teaching people how complex signaling molecules can change your life or teaching people how um, to overcome their fears and and step into a bigger version of themselves. For me, it's all teaching. Um, but something happened in uh, 2009. My father got sick with a very serious health challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, he uh, ended up going on some treatments that after three months on the treatments, uh, he was told two things by his doctors. Number one, there'd be no improvement in his situation. Um, and he had to continue with the treatments. And number two, the treatments were actually going to have some pretty nasty side effects. And he would probably have some permanent lung damage from this particular treatment. And so my father was very, very active. He was 76 at the time, um, windsurfing in the Atlantic Ocean. You know, my dad could build a house with his bare hands. And um, he, for him to lose his lung capacity, it was game over. So I remember saying to my dad, tell your doctors you need to take a break and I'm going to go find the most powerful health technology I can find. I was not looking for a business. I simply was looking for, I, I believe that your body has the most amazing ability to heal, but you have to give it the right resources and put it in the right environment. If you're constantly stressed and eating Big Macs, you're not giving it the tools it needs to heal. But if you put it in the right environment, you get rid of some of the stress in your life, take a walk in the woods, start breathing, start drinking plenty of good, clean water and give your body some of the building blocks that it needs. Now, at that time, those building blocks that I was aware of were vitamins, minerals, trace minerals, enzymes, um, amino acids, bioflavonoids, phytonutrients. I'd spent a long time studying nutrition. OK, I was a fairly educated layperson in the nutritional world. And for me, those were the building blocks that I knew about. But all of a sudden, I go looking for something for my dad, and I hear about a totally different resource that's available to give your body. And it was this signaling resource. I'd never heard of it. I'd never thought about it before. And so I was so intrigued. And incidentally, this was five days into my search. And I am a big, big believer. You can call it the power of prayer, or you can call it the power of intention backed by emotion. But when you get really fixated on something where you really want to find something and there's emotion behind it. It literally stirs the energy of this universe and it draws it to you. And uh, for me, within five days of starting this search for my dad, I heard about this incredible signaling technology that had been developed. And so there were no websites. Uh, there were no videos because I hadn't made them yet. Uh, there was nothing out there. And so I had to jump on a plane and fly to Salt Lake City. I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time. So it was just a hop, skip and a jump uh, across the Rocky Mountains to, uh, to, to Salt Lake City. And I sat down and I met, I met 
probably some of the smartest scientists I've ever met in my life who had achieved this huge breakthrough of stabilizing high energy signaling molecules. Think of them like little sparks of life. Mm. Okay. And nobody had been able to stabilize, to control these high energy signaling sparks. Nobody had been able to do it. In fact, the industry had basically said that it was impossible. It couldn't be done. You can't stabilize something that reactive outside the human body. But this team of scientists, they figured out how to do it. And so we had a whole new category of supplementation, a new technology on our hands that had world had never seen before. So I'm going, okay, there's the first checkbox. A, a product the world has never seen before. A solo voice rising above the crowded choir, okay? Something exceptional and unique. First checkbox. Okay, what about the second checkbox? I then met the people behind the company. And I met the most successful businessman I'd ever met. Uh, Virtus Norton, he ran a he ran a $36 billion portfolio as the head of strategy for Kraft Foods. Yeah. And I remember sitting next to him. He was 69 years of age at the time. I was 39. And I remember sitting next to him and he told me what we now affectionately call the Genesis story of a seer. I remember hearing him say that about this, this, this incredible story of how he turned down huge sum of money from the pharmaceutical industry so that a very small handful of people could continue to use this health technology. Well, and I remember thinking, the original plan to actually invest in it, turn it around and sell it, correct? It was. It was a it was a 12, 18 month turnaround. Yeah. Make huge profits. Buy this from a struggling biotech company, figure out how to stabilize it and flip it and sell it to the pharmaceutical industry. That was the game plan. Yeah. And that was the worst, you know, this is 2008, the worst recession since the Great Depression. Virtus is 69 years of age. We have a technology that's actually made from salt water in Salt Lake City with molecules that at that time the world had never heard of. Yeah. What would what would most people do? And I really challenge people on this. And I guarantee you, most people would have taken the money and run. We're talking about generational wealth, tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars most people would have taken the money and run in those circumstances but there were a very small people group of people there was 135 people total using this technology but it wasn't even the whole 135 people there was actually a very small group of about seven people that Virtus and his son had really become familiar with their stories and how this technology had changed their lives and they said we cannot take this technology away from them i don't care how much money they offer us and so here's an example where somebody is has got every right to take the money. But they're saying, no, we're going to put people first. We're going to put a set of principles. Principles are concentrated truths. They're, they come from a higher power. And we're going to put those ahead of just the payout. Now, how many CEOs and businessmen do you know that would make that principle-based decision? Not many. Not many. And so I remember hearing that story going, hmm. In fact, I'll tell you what I really heard in my head for the first time. I'm 39 years of age. So I'm what? Do the math quickly. Like 13 years, no, 16 years into my journey as a working adult. Mm -hmm. um, 
for the first time in those 16 years, I hear this voice that says, I wouldn't mind working for this guy. Now, I'm psychologically unemployable. And yet I'm going, somehow I want to be connected with this guy. I, I want to hold on to his coattails. These, this is my tribe. This is who I want to be around. Because I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. And that kind of principle-based decision is going to attract the right people. It's also going to repel the wrong people, which is great. Okay. We don't want the wrong, we don't want the wrong people muddying it up. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, in that day, May 15th, 2009, it's funny. You can always remember dates when they change your life. And I made the decision to partner with Virtus Norton and to help him take this technology around the world. And those two boxes were checked for the first time in my life an exceptional, unique product, a story that had never been told before in health and wellness and a company that I could absolutely trust because they had already proven themselves. But there you were looking for a solution for your dad. And it was just the, the, my dad. Now here's the challenge. So I got a product for my dad. I'll tell you that story quickly. And then I'll tell you the business story. I started shipping the product back to my dad. He was the first person in Ireland to drink these high energy little sparks of life. And within four months, my father had a clean bill of health. He was 100% healthy. Wow. And that challenge never came back to haunt him again. I had my dad for another eight years after that. Um, and in many of those years in, in exceptional health. Um, no, I don't have the picture here. I could show you a picture of my dad at 82 and you'd swear he's in his mid 60s. Can I, can I just ask you when, you when you first talked to him and he's a dentist, he's a doctor, he has seen things. <laughs> And you told him you want to send him a bottle of salt water. What did he tell you? I was blessed to have one of the most open-minded fathers. It's where I get my sense of adventure from. Not travel. He hated traveling. My father was a home bird. Mm -hmm. But my father was always pushing, pioneering. My father really pioneered cosmetic dentistry in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. He was probably the first guy to do a thousand porcelain veneers in Northern Ireland back then. Um, he, he always liked to be cut at up to speed on the cutting edge. Um, I, I had spent, um, seven years with a nutritional company in Ireland and went through that journey with my father. And we learned a lot about nutrition and health together. And we'd read the books together. We'd listen to the tapes together. Um, you know, he was my, my fellow student with me on that journey with nutrition. And so my father was very open-minded when it came to, health technologies um and and again you know t I, this idea of signal let, let's address this quickly the salt water um to me it's not complicated um and anybody that kind of turns up their nose at it all they're doing is really showing me their ignorance i'm, I'm again i'm a very transparent person i'm very blunt i don't mince my words and there's a lot of ignorance out there in the world uh, people having opinions about something they don't know anything about. Yeah. Um, why do we make these molecules from salt water? Well, because your body makes them from salt water. It's a biological fact that you can only make these molecules out of sodium, chloride, hydrogen, and oxygen. Those are the atomic building blocks of these signaling molecules. You can't make them out of blueberries and strawberries. You can't make them out of flour, egg, and sugar. You can only make them out of salt and water. It, it, it says it's a biological fact, just like gravity. If I drop this pen, it drops. It doesn't float up into the air. It's a it's a fact of physics. Well, this is a fact of biochemistry. And 
if somebody doesn't know that, that's okay. I didn't know it, but I'm not going to question it. You can Google it. You can go see it. It's a, it's a fact. So the ingredients of the product were irrelevant to me. Um, it, it, it's anybody, if anybody has that as a stumbling block, I just call that stupidity. I'm just sorry if I'm being too blunt and too honest with you, Vera, but it's just stupidity and ignorance because they don't understand the basic mechanisms of how their body works and they don't want to understand. And I walk away from those people. I don't surround myself with fools. Hmm. I don't. I don't waste my time trying to change people's eye color. It's one of the secrets to my success. I look for people who are looking for me. I'm looking for people who, um, well, I, I could go on a whole soapbox there. But so, and the second thing is signaling. Signaling is a very, very simple concept to understand, Vera. It's not complicated. You know, your bodies, you're, you are the most complex communication network on earth. Every second of every day, your body is signaling and communicating critical messages for health and vitality. Any breakdown in that signaling and you're in trouble. Signaling impacts every system, every organ, every function of your body. I'll say it like this. Here's all you need to memorize. If your cells can't signal, little else matters. Signaling is the foundational piece to our health. Now, this was new back 15 years ago. Today, we got, th today there are universities with departments studying this signaling. They didn't have it 15 years ago. This is a very advanced health technology. This technology literally is 10 to 15 years ahead of the academic institutions. Today, we have academic institutions around the world reaching out to us, wanting to partner with us because they finally understand, holy smoke, look what you've got, look what you've done, and you've been doing it for 15 years. This is remarkable. Very rare to have a product that's actually ahead of the body of science. So I get maybe 15 years, people going, oh, saltwater signaling, what is that? Today, there's no excuse for that. That's just ignorance because 15 years later, we're now in a place where we have the university studies, studies the double-blind studies, and if people don't, if people don't want to know, that's okay. That just tells me more about them and their commitment to their own health. Yeah. Because people that are committed to their health, and the people I look for are people who believe their health is their greatest wealth, and it's their responsibility to invest into it. That living in a healthy body is pro is a priority in life. And Vera, you would say, well, that's everybody, isn't it? I go, no, no, no not. it's not everybody. I was once talking to a lady who had, uh, this was way before Asia, had fibromyalgia. And this was way, way back. I was still in Ireland at the time. And um, I remember she had fibromyalgia and I had a nutritional product that I was interested in her trying. And I walked into her kitchen and there's a two liter, a two liter bottle of Coca-Cola. And I go, do you drink much of that stuff? And she goes, oh, I drink two liters a day. Yeah, I go, you got to be kidding me. I said, in your condition, you're putting that acidic junk into your, into your system, two liters a day. Oh, yeah, I couldn't live without my Coke. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I walked away. I'm, I, I was done. That was it. The conversation was finished because I'm not here to change her philosophies. I'm not here to change her eye color. Yeah, I'm going to let somebody else waste their time on that i'm here looking for the people that already get it that already understand the value of investing into our health with amazing technologies that exist today 
And then I'm going to present the most amazing technology of all, which is this signaling technology that, by the way, has seven patents and over a thousand trade secrets. Yeah, You can't get it anywhere else. And so when you put it in front of the right people, they get it. Sorry, I got you got me on one of my soapboxes there, Vera. No, absolutely fantastic. No, no, no. I'm you know, it's like you meet all kinds of people that have all kinds of reactions. And of course, the one that you address that don't even want to learn anything. But there's also type of people that are very advanced in researching and they do really due diligence. They still sometimes don't get the the major difference between this and the any other nutritional product that is on the market when they don't understand that this is not based on a nutrition this is not ingredients based product the secret yeah. to use secret berry or whatever they still don't get that this is biochemistry instead of another nutrition as a building block that we need for our body would you what would you say to them that the major difference they believe they have seen this before they have not yeah, well, that's where I, that's why you, if you, you're familiar with my presentations, I start with, let's start with what a CR redox is not. It's not a vitamin, it's not a mineral, it's not an antioxidant supplement, it's not an exotic juice, it's not an essential oil, it's not a CBD oil. You can tell I've said that a few times. Yeah. I'll say it again, exact same order, because I want people to understand what it's not. So let's empty the glass. You, you, you can't pour knowledge into someone that already thinks they're full. You can't, what's the old Chinese saying, you know, you can't pour water into a full glass. You got to empty the glass first. So that's why I start my presentations with, let's get really clear on what this is not. Because then you might be ready to actually absorb what it is. Mm -hmm. Look, if I'm talking a little firmly here, uh, let me give you, uh, this is the secret to my success. I'm very convicted in what I believe. Um, I'm, I'm doing this 15 years. I know what I know. I know how this changes lives. I know what the product's made from. I know what these molecules are. And so I have a saying, Vera, and this is a little bit of a training for people maybe listening to this. It's okay if people don't buy my story. I'm not here to change people's eye color. I've said that three times now. I'm saying it, I'm repeating it on purpose. You have to repeat things for it to drive home. It's okay if people don't buy my story, but I'm not buying their story. I know what I know. And one of the secrets to my success is I don't waste a lot of time with people who are not in sync with me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not here to, if somebody, for example, believes, I, I, if I'm connecting with somebody and I, I say, look, I've got this astonishing health technology that I believe the world deserves to know about. What you do with it's up to you. I'm emotionally detached from the outcome. Truly emotionally detached from the outcome. I don't care. Okay, I call it compassionate indifference. I'm not here to convince or sell anybody. I'm looking for people who are looking for me. So if somebody says to me, oh, well, I need to go talk to my doctor about that. Uh, so if they buy into the philosophy that their doctor has all of the answers when it comes to their health, they're not my audience. Yeah. And I don't have the energy or the time. I have other things I want to do. I want to go travel the world. I want to play my flute. I want to spend time with my kids and my wife and my dog. I don't want to waste my time trying to change their philosophy. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Because I know there's millions of people that already have my philosophy, which is my health is my greatest wealth. And it's my responsibility to invest into it. 
And doctors don't have all the answers. Hey, when it comes to crisis care and the emergency room, amazing. It's miraculous what they can do in there. And I have so much respect for the emergency room doctor, the, the brain surgeons, the heart surgeons. Uh, the crisis care is astonishing. And I tip my hat to them. But when it comes to understanding actually how the body works and prevention and maintenance of health, they don't have a clue. Absolutely. They're not taught that. Yeah. So I don't waste my time talking to somebody who's literally speaking a different language to me when it comes to health. I'm looking for somebody that's on the same page as me. Then it's a very small step to introduce a cutting edge health technology. It's only a tiny little step. But if I have to take them from here where you know they live and breathe by the pharmaceutical companies and their doctor, and I got to take them to here, that's too big a step. I'm too lazy for that. But I don't have time for that. Did you know this from beginning when you first started sharing it with people or did, did, did this conviction grew as you experienced? No, I had to learn it like everybody else. I never had a mentor in this business. I had to learn through the school of hard knocks. I had nobody to teach me this wisdom. I had to figure it out myself, which is why I'm really good at teaching because I had to figure it out myself. Sometimes if you just handed it to you on a plate, you'd never know the true depth of it. But I had to, I remember, I had to go through phase to realize, do I want to be right or do I want to be rich? And for the longest time, I didn't, I heard that phrase once at a seminar, do you want to be right or do you want to be rich? And I didn't understand it, Vera, because I thought really what it meant was, what I thought what it could mean is, I, I felt it was like a moral ethics question. Yeah. Like, it's okay not to do the right thing, just focus on being rich. And I had a problem with it. And it wasn't until many years later that finally the penny dropped and I understood it. Is it is, let's say I'm talking to you, Vera. Is my job to convince you that I'm right? No. Or is it, again, to move on and find the next person that actually wants what I have? That So, so I define prospecting as sifting and sorting, looking for people who want what you have. It's not convincing and selling people that they need what you have. And a lot of people come into a business like this and they think their job is to convince and sell, which is why the I industry gets a bad us, reputation. Yeah, I, I think it's most of us that believe that, how could you not see what I see? You know? Yeah, but you've got to become emotionally detached. Yeah. You become compassionately indifferent. Yeah. You've got to learn compassionate indifference. So I give the example of the flight attendant walking down the aisle of the plane. Right. Hey, do you want peanuts? Do you want pretzels? Do you want a soft drink? Do you want tea, coffee? They don't care whether you say yes or no. Have you ever seen a flight attendant go, what? You don't want a, you don't want a cup of coffee with these specially roasted peanuts? Are you crazy? Yeah. Oh, have you ever had a flight attendant do that to you? No. Their job, they have one job, and that is to ask every single person on that plane, do you want peanuts? Do you want pretzels? Do you want tea, coffee? Do you want a soft drink? They don't give a rip whether you say yes or no. And I adopt that same approach, and it's been a secret to my success. Because guess what? The right people will raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd like a, I'd like a cup of coffee, and I'd like some pretzels, please. I don't know why people eat pretzels, the most disgusting food ever made. But um, well, but that's a side note. But and, and that's the mistake that people make. They get so emotionally caught up. And you can't because then you're trying to be right. This is all about ego. It's yeah. all ego driven. OK, 
People's egos, they have to be, oh, well, I'm right. So I'm going to sit on you, try and convince you and try and hatch you like a mother hen sitting on an egg. And I'm going to annoy you and I'm going to pester you because I'm right and you're not. Mm. That's how amateurs play. But they're broke. Amateurs don't become wealthy. Amateurs go broke with their hobbies. And what you have to learn is to become emotionally detached from outcomes where I'm I'm totally disconnected from the outcome. I don't care. I know when I put this technology in front of the right person, they will get it. I know that for a fact. I've done it for 15 years. Yeah. And I know when I put this technology in front of the wrong person, they won't get it. And that's okay. I, I've made my peace with that because I don't have to be right. And what when I when I take the focus away from having to be right, guess what? I can focus on getting rich. Right. Because now I'm actually successful in doing what I'm doing. You know, this is brilliant because you touched on uh, this is really personal development kind of business. It's all personal development. This yeah. entire business, our business is so simple. My 12 year old could do it. The only thing would stop her is, is she emotionally mature enough to succeed? And what actually, she learn, might be. <laughs> what did you learn about yourself in this process when when you look back, when you started and where you stand today? What, oh, what is was, the most important thing you learn about yourself? What I've just taught you, becoming emotionally detached from the outcome. Yeah. That is the single most important thing that I learned in my journey. Once I figured that out, once I figured that out, the, the, the life, it's no longer a challenge anymore because it, it's not my responsibility to change people's philosophies. You see, we have to understand people make decisions and say yes or no based on philosophies, yeah. how they view the world. Okay. And let me give you an example. You know, you could be sitting there with your thumb in front of your eye. And at nighttime, you look up to the moon and you say to me, Alan, my thumb is bigger than the moon. Now, that's your philosophy. That's your perspective. That is how you see the moon. Your thumb is bigger than the moon. Now, I'm not going to waste a lot of time convincing you otherwise. Okay. But I could ask you a question to try and shift your perspective and a question because what a question does is a question makes you think. Now, most people don't understand the power of questions. This is another thing I learned, the power of questions. Questions make people think. The truth is about half the population don't think. I don't, I don't mean to sound cruel. I really don't. I'm just sharing with you my life's experience. Half the population doesn't know how to think. They don't know how to think for themselves. I mean, I we're becoming... a higher percentage than that. Well, I was being kind. But... <laughs> It, it, most people are turning into vegetables. Yeah. They're sitting there with their head in their phone. They're watching TikTok reels. They're watching, you know, wh whatever it is, just the junk on social media. They veg out, binge watch Netflix shows. And look, we're all guilty of that. We find a show we like and, you know, a, a thriller, a detective series, a mystery or something. You know, once in a while is fine, but it's become a lifestyle for people. Yeah, and, and people they have go forgotten. on automatic pilot with a lot of things. In a yeah, life. they've forgotten how to think. Yeah. You know, Virtus Norton, when, when Tyler Norton, uh, his son, brilliant, brilliant person. I've learned so much from Tyler. Uh, that's We could fill a whole other call of what I've learned from Tyler. 
but Tyler was just beginning his uh, professional career and he met his brilliant father, Virtus Norton. And he says, okay, dad, what's your advice for me? And they were sitting having a dinner. Um, and he says, what's your advice? I'm going out into the big bad world. Share your fatherly wisdom with me. And Virtus Norton turned to his son. He says, think. That was it. Think. Most people don't think. They're on this automatic pilot. Yeah. So why did I, why was I getting on that soapbox? I can't remember, but. Um, you were talking about how easier it is to, to attract the right people to you instead of trying to convincing the rest of yeah, the world. You've got, you've got to become the right person before you can attract the right person. Yeah. You see, this brings you into the philosophy of be, do, have. First, you've got to become then you do because of who you are. Now you do certain things in a certain way. And then you have the results of that activity. Yeah. Okay. So first you change yourself. You become the person. That becoming creates an activity that is done in a certain way with a certain mindset. That's a mindset skill set. And then you have the result, the fruit of that labor. And you have. Okay, so what you have is a direct result of who you are. Now, most people, now let me say most, there's a group of people that want that in reverse. They want to have, well, if I had this, if I had the success, then I would do this and then I would become this. They have it backwards. It's the fast food mentality. They want to have it now. And oh, well, if, if I had a million dollars, then I would do this and I would be this. No. See, look at look at the, the, an example of why this is not right is the people that win the lottery. Look at the, I don't have the exact statistics, but it's well known. I mean, the vast majority of people that win the lottery, tens of millions of dollars in the lottery, they're flat broke within three to five years. Why are they flat broke? Because they never changed who they actually are. And so if you think about who you are as the thermostat, okay, that's your internal setting. And there's many different settings on that. Let's just say your relationship with money is just one of those settings. Who you believe, who you are and what you believe you deserve. That's, that's a setting, okay, on the thermostat. It's only one of many. There's other settings, okay? There's other values. There's, there's, there's faith. There's family. There's work ethic. There's all sorts of other settings on that become on who you are but if all of a sudden the temperature spikes because you have this windfall of cash through winning the lottery okay but the thermostat didn't change who you are didn't change your sense of self-worth didn't change what happens when the thermostat doesn't change the temperature will find a way to settle back to the thermostat setting and that's why I've just given you the explanation why the vast majority of people who win the lottery lose it because the spike in temperature without the change in thermostat, the temperature will fall to match the thermostat in this once here. And here's, here's this on a bigger, on a bigger value, on a bigger concept. It's the difference between the victim and the victor. Right. You see, once you book, this world is teaching people to become victims. And I, I won't get too deep into this or I might get into trouble, but we are literally teaching people, uh, our government are teaching people 
to to own the victim label societies and school everybody's a victim these days and when you're a victim you believe the world owes you something so your sense of yeah yeah you're helpless you're you're and so your sense of self-worth is very 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 low and so you live a life that matches that but the moment you have the courage and it takes courage the moment you have the courage to step out of being a victim into becoming a victor you raise the thermostat setting dramatically and it can happen like that in fact shifts don't happen linear they happen in quantum leaps People make that change and say, no more am I the victim. No more am I buying into this. You know, and there's the world is full of great examples of people who raised themselves above the they had every reason to be the victim, whether it was their their circumstances, uh, abuse, poverty, lack of education, um, in some cases, the color of their skin. There's all sorts of cases where people were literally born into or raised into this victim but they had the courage to step out of that and say no more i'm going to be the victor of my life and the 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 payoff is that means taking responsibility see the victim doesn't take responsibility the victor does take responsibility and when you take responsibility for your life now a whole thing changes because you've just changed the thermostat setting you know two of the fastest ways to change that thermostat setting are number one, take responsibility for where you are. And number two, have gratitude. Don't curse the journey. Gratitude is one of the fastest ways to raise the thermostat, increase your vibrational energy, become more attractive to the world. Self-responsibility and gratitude. So if somebody's listening to this, and who knows if this message might find somebody, and they're going, huh, Maybe it's time for me to stop being the victim. Maybe it's time for me to stop blaming my mother, my father, my next door neighbor, my spouse, my education, whatever I'm blaming. You know, maybe it's time for me to step up and actually be the victor in my life. But to do that, number one, I've got to take full responsibility for my life. And number two, I'm going to show gratitude. Don't curse the journey. The journey makes us who we are. You are an example of that because even though you look back and you had some bad experiences with this business, you still knew in your heart that the, the model of residual income was what interests you in this and you didn't let it influence. You took it as a learning block. You took it as a shaping your mind to what you have to look for in your next partnership to make sure that you don't fall again. And that's 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 the fascinating thing that we have to grow to. And and you only grow by experience. You only I, have to experience multiple things. You know, I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was my dad. I need more reflection to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's another very interesting thing. Another little soapbox of mine. Um, we don't have enough periods of reflection in our day uh, because we're so busy in the moments where we used to be quiet, like we're sitting waiting for a bus. We're in the dentist's office waiting for our appointment. We're sitting in the car waiting to pick up our kid from school. In those moments of quiet reflection, or maybe we had the radio on, but today, what are we doing? We got our head in the phone. We're looking at at Facebook Reels. We're looking at TikTok videos. And we've no moments of quiet reflection. Now, here's the analogy. I'm a very visual person. It's how I teach. When, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, and you're in one of the rapids 
and all the white water is bubbling all around you. I was fortunate to have white water rafted from the the foot of the uh, of Victoria Falls in Zambia, uh, Zambia, Zim, um, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. The the but the Victoria Falls is right there, and I was able to white water raft right from the base all the way down the Zambezi River. And uh, when you've got that white bubbling water, um, you have no time for reflection. You're you're in your brain waves are in beta state, and you're just you're constantly focused. You're ducking and weaving. You're 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 just trying to avoid the rocks. You're trying to get in the current. You're trying to go with the flow. And that's the way a lot of our life is. Okay, we call that the beta state. Oh, there's Sissy behind you. Hey, yes, Sissy. Yes, there is. She's, um, you know, we're uh, we're in that constant fight or flight beta state mode. But then there are moments of of quiet water in calm. And the interesting about the quiet water is it's still. And when you lean over the boat or the canoe, whatever you're in, you can see your reflection. You can only see your reflection in the quiet water. And you can only truly see your reflection in the quiet times in life. Yeah. And one of the challenges that modern society has is they're filling all the quiet, potentially quiet times with noise. Yeah. And there's no reflection time. And so they're not aware of their innermost thoughts. They're not aware of what they're thinking. They're not aware of whether they're a victim. They're not aware of what it takes to become a victor. They're not aware of whether they're self-responsible or letting somebody else drive their life. They're losing that awareness. And I basically have broken down all personal development to two steps. Number one, become aware. And number two, have the courage to change. That's it. That is personal development in a nutshell. Yeah. Become aware and have the courage to change. And I will say that the vast majority of people, and I work with them every day, they're not aware. They're not aware of their innermost thoughts. They're not aware of what they believe. They're not aware of their philosophies. They're just running an automatic pilot and they keep getting the same results over and over and over again. And so if anything comes out of this call, I would just encourage people, have moments of quiet. And you don't have to sit in a Zen state. I can't meditate. But I do go for walks with my dog. I walk in the woods. I don't have things playing in my ear. I don't want that distraction. I want to breathe in nature. And I want to listen to my innermost thoughts. Because this is where the creative ideas come. And this is when we start to become aware of who we are and how we need to change if we want to get a different result in our life. Remember, be, do, have. You want to change the have we've got to change the do and if you want to change the do you've got to change the be it all starts with the become and so you've got to have these moments of self-awareness you've got to have these moments um, of reflection and then have the courage to change and as i just gave you two two things to do number one adopt self-responsibility become fully responsible for your life stop playing the victim stop thinking it's the government's job to look after you Stop thinking it's your doctor's job to look after your health. I mean, if you're in crisis care, yes, it is. Okay, I'm not giving you medical advice here, okay? Yeah. If you're going for brain surgery, you keep going down that road. But I'm talking on a more basic level. Um, take responsibility for your life and then express gratitude. No matter what's going on in your life, start expressing gratitude. Um, because, I, again, I've said it three times here, twice already. Don't curse the journey. If, if I have a gift... It's my ability to not curse the journey. It because it's the old story: what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Yeah, it's how we build muscle. You don't build muscle lying on the beach. You build muscle 
lifting the weight. You need the resistance. Well, guess what? We need the resistance in our life to build the muscles of life, like willpower. We need to build the willpower muscle. We need to build the emotional resilience muscle. We build these muscles and we only can build muscles by exposing ourselves to resistance, challenges. Our job is not to go through life challenge less. That's like trying to live in a planet without gravity. We'd just be floating blobs. We need gravity. We need that resistance so we can push against it. That's how we grow. And so it's the same thing in life. You don't curse the journey. You don't. You, you, so one of the mindset shifts is the hardship that's in front of you. Don't curse it. It's there to help you grow, to overcome. It, it, you need it to overcome. So embrace the challenge. You've got to have a mindset to embrace the challenge. I think anyway, look, these are... So, these are my passions this is what i love teaching vera you haven't seen this side of me that much but oh i love it i love this it. is really this is where a my master class yeah because look mo our molecules are simple our business is simple as i said earlier i can teach a 12 year old how to do our business it's not complicated but it's these other things it's the mindset and, and our philosophies and how we view ourselves yeah that's what's going to determine whether somebody wins or not and what you focus on, because you can always focus, even with your past, you can always focus on the bad, or you can focus at, on what great things came out of it, how you overcame, how you became stronger, what you learned from it. Exactly. And it's, it's you, what you focus on. And when you said the, when we become creative, because we don't have, we don't have the, distraction that we are surrounded by again when we focus on some quiet time which is painful for some people because you don't want to know what's going buzzing in your head because you you cover it up with other things you may not want to face it but it's it's the necessary evil to overcome and become clearer on who you want to be and who you are with can i give you a very simple example just to show you how subtle this can be okay I thought after, um, I don't know the exact number of time, 25 years or so of being an entrepreneur, that I had a good relationship with money. Mm -hmm. So this is a really good place to start. Somebody's listening to this. They've got some hunger to um, financially move their life forward. Okay. They got room in their bank account for additional income. And maybe they're looking for a plan B or maybe they're looking for a plan A, whatever it is. Um, they're a big dreamer, a big thinker. They believe they deserve to have it all. Okay. And, and they, they start this business and all of a sudden they wonder why things aren't working out and they starts to sabotage themselves. One of the most important questions you've got to ask is what's your relationship with money? Is money your friend? Now everyone, goes, Oh, well, yeah, of course it is. Really? Really? And you've got to do some really deep soul searching. So I'll give you an example. And this is a, this is an example of awareness. I thought I had a great relationship with money. Okay. Um, but I remember I went to, I was in Ireland and I was on one of our trips, uh, uh, our top leader incentive trips. And I was staying in the most luxurious hotel in Europe. It's a beautiful hotel called Adair Manor. It's a castle in uh, County Limerick in Ireland. And uh, they just spent like 72 million or something renovating the golf course. 
And I mean, it, it's incredible. I'm talking white glove, silver service in a castle, fairy tale stuff. Okay. Beautiful. And as I said, voted the most luxurious hotel in Europe, uh, actually around the world, I think it was. So I'm staying there for like three or four nights. And uh, I remember walking into this place and I asked, who owns this castle? And I was expecting to hear that it was, um, you know, like a group of Japanese businessmen or the Hilton group or, you know, some big conglomerate owned this castle. And I heard it was a local boy called J.P. McManus. And this is where you have to be aware. Immediately, that little voice in my head, my subconscious spoke up and said, well, what kind of shady business is he in that he can afford this castle? Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, I caught myself thinking that because I like to stay in a place of awareness. I listen to the inner voice. And the moment I thought that, I said, hold on a second. Clearly, I have a great relationship with money to a certain point. But the moment it goes above that, nice shady stuff's going on. And there could be circumstances where there are shady stuff, but I didn't know that. But I immediately jumped to that conclusion. Right. And in that moment of awareness, I realized that I was comfortable with money to a certain point, but not beyond that point. Beyond that point, the skeptic came out. It was shady. There was something going on. It wasn't above board. And so number one, become aware. That's just a simple example, a subtle example. And then have the courage to change. So I, I became aware of this and I emotionally cleared those blocks. It says, okay, no more. I'm not going to limit myself anymore. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you the end of this story just to show you how it works. I had set a goal for myself to make a million dollars a year in what I do um, since 1999. Now, for most of that time, I couldn't, took me 10 years then to find the right company and the right product. 2009, I find it. And I made a very, very good multiple six-figure income, but I could never crack the seven-figure income. The year that the, so I, I figured this out in November, October, November is when I had this aha moment. The next year, I cracked the seven figures for the first time in my life. Now, you may say, is that a coincidence? might be but i don't believe in coincidences I, I i've been around too long to believe in coincidences i literally removed that block of what i turned up the thermostat i was no longer happy with multiple six figures i said you know what? it's okay to go above the seven and i turned the thermostat and i changed who i was i changed my philosophy and and but if i didn't have that moment of awareness would that have happened that's, and so that's interesting. Yeah. Just an example, you know, and it can it can be all around. It can be it could be how we re interact with somebody. Uh, we see somebody. What do we think about them? How are we judging them? Okay, becoming aware of those things. They say something to us. How did it make us feel? Mm -hmm. You know, why did we respond that way? Why did we get our feelings hurt? Why are we playing the victim card? You know, somebody sa says something to it, and we take it personally. Well, why did we take it personally? These are the questions you got to ask. This, this is the foundation of success in life. Okay. Absolutely. This is this is fascinating because you are by any measures considered very successful. And I remember Bob Proctor talked about this when 
he speak with somebody relating to money and he asked them, what was the most money you ever made in your life a year? And they give you a number, whether it's 50,000 or 5 millions. He said, that's their limit. That's what they know. That's what they are familiar with. And they hardly go over it unless they change your mindset. And that's yeah. exactly what happened to you. And even yeah. though you are high, high there, there's still there was still ceiling on your thinking, which is well, because fascinating. If you think of yourself as a multiple six-figure earner, then you do certain things to achieve and sustain that. And once you've right. changed it, you kind of, mm -hmm. you know, if you're there, could you keep doing things to move it up higher? Yeah, you could. But you find yourself getting busy with other stuff that you don't do the things that could why because it's how you see yourself you will always fulfill how you see yourself yes life is full of self-fulfilling expectations and so if that's what you expect for yourself and you see yourself as then life will produce that for you and that's where you'll be now it's a very great place to be a very healthy place to be but it wasn't until i realized that i had put a ceiling in there even though it was a high ceiling it was still a ceiling yeah. And, you know, you, you you break the ceiling. And so you start doing things differently. You start attracting different people into your life that is attracted to the new person that you become. Now, many people might notice it, but we communicate in energy. This is a whole other conversation. We shouldn't get into energy this far into our conversation here because now we really open up the world. All Every, yeah. Everything is a vibrational energy. Our feelings are vibrational energies. Our consciousness is a vibrational energy. That's how the law of attraction works. It, it's, um, you know, if you, if I take a tuning fork uh, that is tuned to an F on a scale, and I take another tuning fork that is tuned to uh, an E, and I ding the F, it's not going to make the E vibrate. It's not in sync. It's not connected. They're, they're on different pathways. But if I take the F and I ding it and I take another F and I put it beside it, the other F will start to vibrate. Why? Because they're in sync energetically and vibrationally. They're in sync. And so if you think about this, let me give you one of the greatest truths I was ever taught. We attract into our reality people and circumstances that will validate how we feel about ourselves. I'll say it again because it's a lot to unpack. We attract into our reality people and circumstances that will validate how we feel about ourselves. Now you could spend a few months just marinating on that statement. But again, this comes back to the victim or the victor. Are things happening to you just randomly or are you actually attracting a lot of this into your life? I know people that constantly attract drama into their life. It's like the person who's been married seven times and keeps blaming the spouse and you go, there's only one common denominator in these seven marriages and that's you. Yeah. You know, it's time to look in the mirror. It's time to take responsibility, but that's the victim. But this, the moment they step into being the victor, they actually might find a happy marriage. So if you find yourself keep attracting the same thing over and over and over again, you've got to finally go, hmm, maybe my role in this is a little bigger than I thought. That's the victor to vic victim to victor. Yeah, and that's it's a game changer. <laughs> so we live in a world where people, again, look, I could really get political, but I probably shouldn't. Oh, why not? <laughs> well, we're living in a world... And it's not just America, it's in Europe, it's everywhere where um, government wants to get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
and wants to take your responsibilities away from you and wants you to think you're a victim. And it's a it's it's basically becomes the downfall of that civilization because it starts to create very weak people. And that's where we are right now. We're creating very, very weak people who um, I mean, our you know, past generations, the greatest generation of all uh, during World War Two, I mean, their their fortitude, their strength, their backbone was incredible. The weakness that exists today in the world is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah. And everybody wants to play the victim card. And that plays into the hands of governments saying, oh, well, we'll take care of you. Exactly. Yeah. And welfare programs grow even bigger and companies and countries go bankrupt, uh, like the United States is going bankrupt right now. I know anyway. it's from communism, unfortunately, because... You well, you've lived in that. You've yeah. lived... You cannot you know take exactly. control of confident, successful people. They don't need you to, to run their life. You need a huge amount of people that are depending on you. You need people that believe that they can do anything about changing their circumstances, that it's yeah. not their fault. And that's exactly where it goes. It's just the, the, more, the more we have of these that are offended by a word, and they can't do anything out of them because it's, well, it's because the way I was born, the more control the government gets over you. So socialism, socialism and communism Absolutely. require a massive population of victims. Yep, exactly. And you see it happening all over the place where this victim mentality is encouraged um, and people settle for it. And it's very sad. It's for very me, it's sad. scary because I didn't move to United States for more of that. Neither and, did I. And I did not believe that this proud country, aware of their founding, would ever fall for it. But offer enough free stuff and people fall for it. I'm yep. Yeah. Nothing's nothing's free. Yep. I learned one the one thing I remember from my finance degree, there's no such thing as a free lunch. For sure. It it don't exist. Money. Yeah. So Ellen, this is absolutely fascinating. I could go on for five hours with you because you have so much to teach us. And it's so fascinating. Your humility, being where you are on top, top of the mountain, it, to, to share your knowledge and your experience that you made. I, I want to ask you one final question. You are by eyes of many on you have you have made it all you have seen it all you have you have made more than comfortable income uh what is driving you today what is your why what is your goal in front of you that you still strive for what is the most important thing for you at this stage of your business to to influence your life um it's two things i am a teacher that is my that is my profession. I love teaching, whether it's teaching kids how to get a note out of a difficult instrument to play called the flute, or whether it's teaching people how to become entrepreneurs um, or to become greater versions of themselves or moving from victim to victor and experiencing the riches that that can offer. I don't mean just riches and money. I mean, it's much deeper than that. Money is money's just a, a scorecard. It's, it's, it's much, much deeper than that. Um, I love teaching people about health concepts that can absolutely change their life. I've interviewed 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably into over a thousand people uh, on how our technology has changed their lives. I mean, I have a, how many, you know, I'm not a fireman, I'm not a policeman, I'm not a, a brain surgeon, a heart surgeon, and yet I have a little clock and pen set on my desk that's set at the wrong time. I haven't changed it for the hour, but um, if you can read that, what's it say? Can Thank you, see you for saving my life. Thank you for saving my life. How many people have a clock and pen set sitting on their desk saying, thank you for saving my life? Yeah. And I got that because I shared our technology, our revolutionary signaling technology with somebody, and it literally changed their life. Those are their words. That's what they believe. But um, And so what drives me? There's nothing else I'd rather do. I get to change people's lives physically. And if they're willing to go through some personal development, I can change people's lives financially. And I can help people become, I've helped three or four people become even more successful than me. I'm not money driven. I mean, I, I've used money as an example here, yes. but money is not my motivating force. Um, I drive secondhand car. I, I don't care about Ferraris and Maseratis. I live in a beautiful home, but I don't need a, a bigger mansion. Right. Um, for me, life is about family and experiences and becoming. And um, I, I, I've spent my entire life living below my means. I, I, I'm, I don't need a Rolex watch. I don't care about that stuff. You know, I wouldn't mind a, a, an 18 karat gold flute, but that's a different subject. Oh, uh... But um, but the, the, the idea is it's, it's becoming. That's what life's about. Yeah. And, and so... For me to be able to have a vehicle that can change people's lives physically, where they go to the time of inscribing a clock and pen set and giving it to me as a gift to reflect their feelings for what I've done for them. And I can change people's lives financially to a point even beyond my own. You know, very often there's this mistake of thinking in network marketing. And again, it's just ignorance. They just don't know that oh, the guy at the top makes all the money. No, I've got three or four people in my business that make more than me. Yeah. And that's the way it should be, you know? Um, and so it, 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 to, be, to be able to do that, to be able to continue to teach that, and where we are right now with what I'm doing, I spent 15 years taking our technology through the ridicule and opposition phases. It's often said, I think it was, it was a guy called Schopenhauer, or maybe I got his name wrong, but he a philosopher who said that Truth goes through three phases. First, it's ridiculed, then it's opposed, and then it's accepted as self-evident. Actually, it was first it's ridiculed, then it's violently opposed, mm -hmm. and then it's accepted as self-evident. Well, true breakthroughs, I mean, true breakthroughs, something the world's never seen before, um, they also go through the three phases because they're such a paradigm shift. So it goes through the ridicule phase. <laughs> Salt water molecules nobody's ever heard of. And then you begin to get some traction and people, for whatever reason, start to oppose it. Yeah. They don't understand it, so they oppose it. Then you move finally into a place of acceptance. What excites me as an entrepreneur is our technology. We've 15-year journey through the ridicule and opposition phase. We're finally at the place of acceptance. Take took us 15 years to get there. Now the journey begins. Now the ride begins. Now the fun begins. So why am I going to miss that? You know? So I'm, I, I've got very, very, very clear goals. I haven't even got started yet in this business. It was just a warm-up. I haven't even got started yet. And it's not just how it's going to impact my life and generations of people after me, but it's the people that I can change their lives physically and financially 
I say my noble purpose is to transform lives physically and financially, harnessing the power of this product and opportunity that I represent. And to me, it's a beautiful, noble purpose, you know, so. And this is Alan Noble for you guys. Straight from Texas, I absolutely love this. I'm not cutting one second of this interview. And <laughs> I just hope everybody find it and, and learn because this is the lesson that I was looking for when I first started this journey and I have never been involved in this in this type of business. Unlike you, I didn't know anything about it. And so many people start with their own struggles and, and fighting the system, fighting. They wanted to do it their own way because they don't understand how duplication works. All these little details that leave so many people behind when they had all the opportunity to, to get on top just like you did. It's it's a sad story of us speaking in our disfavor or speaking ourselves out of things. But meeting somebody like you who who took it and ran with it and he knew, you knew what you were going for. You didn't let anybody to distract you from the journey. You didn't let naysayers to take the confidence away from you. That's what's fascinating to me. And I think everybody who listens to us can be inspired that we really seriously need to do things different way. One more question, if I may, at the, at the end. Uh, there are people who have their own business and they may not totally understand why they would start another business. Why, like I already am busy, I, I can't, I have no capacity for another for another business. You know the principle of why this is like no other business in the world, what it does to lifestyle, what it does to the possibilities. Can you just touch on that really simply? Well, as an entrepreneur, um, going through the experiences that I've gone through, um, I've exchanged time for dollars teaching the flute. I get paid X amount per 30 minutes, 40 minutes for an hour. I built websites, I got paid per project. Um, I have been in this business where I can get paid on the consumption of a product where I do the work once, but I can get paid over and over and over again every time that consumable is repurchased and repurchased and repurchased. And I can tell you now at this phase of my life, I would only consider income opportunities if they provided a very strong residual income. Um, because once you experience residual income and the freedom that it can give you, it's so hard to go back to linear income. Um, so, for example, you know, I get paid on people con consuming our product and then reordering our product because they like it. They like how they feel. They, they, they feel better on it than off it. So they reorder it and they consume it and they reorder it and they consume it. Well, I don't have to be there every time they reorder. That's they take care of themselves but I get paid that same commission over and over and over and over and over and over again. So I've had people, let me do a quick calculation here. I'm almost 15 years doing this. I have people that have ordered the product. Let's see, 15, 15 times 12, 180 times almost. So there's times where I've did the work once, but I've been paid almost 180 times for that. Well, multiply that, just not with one person, but hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people. 
and you begin to see the power of residual income. So I go home to Ireland every June and July. Uh, just my, it kind of becomes a central hub. I've got family all over the place and we all kind of come home. We've got a place on the west coast of Ireland where the Atlantic Ocean comes crashing in. It's just beautiful, beautiful part of the world. And my mom's still there. And um, I'm able to detach and go spend two months because my I no longer need to be present for the income to come in. And that opportunity exists for everybody. Um, and even a, a brain surgeon is exchanging their time for dollars. Now, in this case, very high amount of dollars. And I'm very grateful there are brain surgeons in the world. But, um, you know, mo I read a statistic that something like 70, 76% of people aren't happy doing what they're doing. They're not happy doing i'd say most brain surgeons love what they're doing it took a lot to become a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon but the vast majority of people 76 percent, three quarters of the population aren't really content with what they're doing and yet they're spending 40 years of their life doing it and so you know i can't imagine a fate worse than just trudging through the day exchanging your time for dollars and something that doesn't motivate you that doesn't fire you up that doesn't get the juices flowing you're just, you're just going through the, the motions. But on another side of things, you know, if we learn anything over the last three, four years, everybody should have a plan B. Yeah. By the time you need a plan B, Vera, it's usually too late. And I met a lot of people who never gave thought to a plan B. And all of a sudden, through circumstances, government telling them, you can't open your store, you can't open your business. Our business kept going. We could ship product all over the world. People still kept getting paid. But there were a lot of people, and I felt so sorry for these entrepreneurs that had stepped out in a moment of courage to open that restaurant, to open that shop, to open that business. And all of a sudden, they're being told, no, your no, that dream's over for you. I mean, that to me, don't don't get me started on that. That that gets me pretty, <laughs> pretty annoyed. But anyway. I um, one of those people. Yeah. Oh, it's it's disgraceful what happened. We will look back at this period of time and go, it was an absolute disgrace. But anyway, um, these uh, but these businesses. And so, what if you had a Plan B that was ticking along at the same time? You know. And so, by the time you need a Plan B, it's too late. I have a. This business is my Plan A, but I already have a Plan B, and I actually am about to start a Plan C. I have many layers of income. What we're talking about today was just the plan A. But, you know, if you're successful enough in plan A, you can move it into a plan B, it moves into a plan C and maybe a plan D someday. Um, so anyway, this is just, this is why people should start thinking about this. Um, and again, it requires you to be the victor, not the victim. It requires you to think- Independence and the freedom that it offers you. And yeah. the, the stress removed from your life when you have to worry about taking care of your family if god forbid something happened to you all these things play into role and yeah and i was there i was i remember being in new york city um absolutely flat broke um a homeless guy was begging for money and i looked in his hat and i said buddy i hate to tell you but you're worth more than me i can remember being down to my last two dollars i mean literally down to my last two dollars i can remember it um, and so I've been absolutely flat broke. I call it financially embarrassed. I've been there. I know what it's like. 
I, I, to, to, to keep the dream alive, I was parking cars in the rain at Morton's Steakhouse, valet parking, um, doing odd jobs here and there. I mean, I've done those things. Uh, when the clock struck midnight on the year 2000, I was bussing tables in a restaurant, um, clearing up other people's party dishes. You know, so I'm not, I, that's a whole other part of the story, but I'm not immune to, I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be flat broke. I know what it's like to not know where your rent money is going to come from. I know what it's like when you're when you're trying to put gas in the car. I, I know what it's like not to have a car and have to walk everywhere, which is pretty difficult in American cities. Yeah. Okay, people look at you and go, "Why is he walking?" Well, because he doesn't have a car. Something I've been weird. there. <laughs> I've been there. I understand it. You know, and I could go much much deeper into that. Um, so, but anyway. But again, you can decide whether you're a victim or whether you're going to be a victor. That's where it all begins. Alan, thank you so much. I seriously so appreciate it. We went much longer than we originally planned, but I won't change a second. And I would love to continue this conversation some other time if you are into it. And maybe we can specify the energy and the motivation and the visualization and everything that are buzzwords, but not many people really understand deeply how it works and what it yeah. requires. And I think you mastered it. <laughs> well, we're still learning. We're still students. You know, sometimes what one thing I've learned, Vera, is uh, very careful. We don't buy into our own press releases. That's why I don't write bios. Um, we we got to stay humble, stay student, be the student of life. Is so. I heard it said that if you're the if you're the if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, that's a big problem. So we, we we keep learning, we keep figuring this stuff out. It's all a journey. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was a really truly moving experience for me, and I hope everybody who listens to us really takes away so many wisdoms that we heard today. And yeah. if you may be compelled to learn about the technology that we both devoted our life to. I would like to invite you, um, Alan Noble, every Thursday at nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time, does a presentation that is only devoted to explaining what this technology is, what it is not, what it does, why you may need it, and how effective it could be to improving your life. So I would love to invite everybody, if you want to say where they can find it, no, let them come to you and you can tell them. All right. All right. Let's do that. <laughs> so again, thank you so much. Alan, thank you, Vera. And have a great rest of the day in a beautiful Texas. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate thank it, Vera. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>